Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Aaron Schlein here, and today on Family Travel Radio, we're going to be traveling off the beaten path in two very different but very popular family destinations on opposite sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Karen Means from Walking on Travels is going to be our guide, and our very first stop is going to be in Karen's hometown of Washington, D.C. Karen's going to take us through D.C. and show us some of the hidden treasures, some of the things that may not immediately come to mind when you visit Washington. Don't just stick to what you think you're supposed to do. Do your history tour, but then come back and start diving into the neighborhoods, too. We have some really fun quirky neighborhoods. Next up, Karen is going to stay with us as we cross the pond and visit Dingle, Ireland. And I want you to pay close attention as Karen shares just a beautiful example of the magical discoveries you can make when you toss the guidebook aside and simply see where the road takes you when exploring a new place. And just a little teaser, Karen's story involves a galaxy far, far away. You know, what better way to impress your kids and get them to really start interacting? We're going to pretend to be Jedi now. And that's what we did. (laughs) Family Travel Radio is the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Visit us at familytravel.org and discover for yourself just what's possible in family travel. Karen Means is joining us today from her home in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Karen, welcome to Family Travel Radio. Thanks so much for having me. That's my pleasure. Karen, before we dive in, just take a moment. Tell us about yourself and go back as far as you can. Tell us about how travel has impacted your life. Tell me your story. So like you said, I'm Karen. I run a site called Walking on Travels as well as a publication called Twist Travel Magazine. Both are family focused. And it really kind of goes back to my own upbringing. I did not come from a lot of money. So we grew up road tripping a lot up and down the East Coast. I'm originally from Philadelphia. We'd go up to New Hampshire every year and then we'd go to the Jersey Shore like a lot of kids growing up in the 80s and early 90s. Um, And then when I was 13, I went on a plane for the first time. And we went to Disney World because that's what you did. Uh, But then my aunt took me down to Mexico to visit friends of ours when I was 16, and that lit the fire. And from there, I was able to do a school program to go to Moldova, which for everybody that doesn't know where that is, it's between the Ukraine and Romania. And then I was able to go to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. And then in college, I went to Italy, and it just kind of all kept snowballing. And when I finally started my career... My background's in magazine publishing and journalism and photography, and I was working for a book publisher, and I was going back and forth to China and Singapore, because that's where we were printing our books. And at that point, then I started having kids. And this is where the family travel all starts coming in. And I was bringing my oldest son, who was about 14 months at the time, I was hopping on a plane to Hong Kong with him, and friends started asking me, well, you know, how did you do it? But why? Why would you bring a baby to Hong Kong with you. We were living in Seattle. Hong Kong's about a 14-hour flight. And to me, I was like, well, why wouldn't you? I didn't have to pay for them. It was $100 to bring them on the plane. And then babies don't cost anything once you land because they you know, need applesauce or whatever they were eating back then. Uh, he's nine years old now, so I can't really remember. <laughs> and he, you know, he had a blast. We would always tack on an extra week. We would go up to Beijing. Uh, One time I actually had to go over to China on very short notice. I was working at home part-time and my husband wasn't able to join us. So I actually had to hop on that plane with my son because we didn't have full-time childcare. 
and he was just at the printing plant with me. But then we were able to meet my husband in Japan and hang out for a week. And, you know, we were just able to have these amazing adventures. So that really, you know, sparked this need to be able to tell people, you know, not just how to do it, but why you should do it. You know, my son learned to walk on the Great Wall of China. Who gets to tell that story? My, I now have two boys, ages six and nine, and they compete over where they've been and where the other one hasn't. You know, it's my youngest, greatest regret in life right now. He's six, that he hasn't been to Asia and his older brother has. So apparently now that's my, you know, greatest failing in life is that my six-year-old has not been to Asia, according to him. So, you know, my children have very first world problems at the moment. So they're not fighting over, they're not fighting over iPads, they're not fighting over yeah. the movies or toys, they're fighting over who's been where and who's got the cooler travel story. Exactly. And you know, and if that's my greatest failing in life is my children being able to one-up each other on the awesome, amazing adventures they've had, then I'm really okay with that. When you first started traveling, that story you told about taking your son to, to Hong Kong, you were working, you were just kind of in it, and then your friends started asking you know, how and why. Did you feel like you were doing anything particularly special at the time? At the time, I didn't. It was hard, but I didn't really feel like this was out of the norm. I mean, obviously, I hadn't grown up doing this, but I was just being a mom, and I was doing what I had to do to continue to work, and I just brought my kid along with me, and this just seemed like the natural progression of where our society was going. If I wanted to be able to work at home part-time and I had to go to you know, Hong Kong, then I was going to just pack up my kid and we were going to go, and the fact that this was abnormal to other people was surprising to me. Yeah, and I can see that. But like I said, when, when you're in it, when you're just kind of living, living your life, living your story, you don't see anything out of the ordinary about it. But then when people start asking you about it, and there's this, this interest in your story, what you're doing and how you're doing it, that must have triggered something in you to say, look, people are interested in this. Maybe I am doing something out of the ordinary, and it's time to take some action and teach other people how to do what I do. Does, is that sound reasonable? Exactly. Yes. And that's when I started walking on travels because of my background in journalism, you know, there was that spark of there is a story here. Maybe I need to start writing this story down. Just kind of the stories kind of kept evolving from there and really explaining to people and then showing them how they could do it as well. Uh, well we're certainly grateful uh, for you taking the time, of course, to to start creating that content and, and teaching us how you do what you do, because it really is wonderful. So Karen, we're going to get into a couple of destinations that are particularly special to you. And we're going to start right there, right there in your hometown, nation's capital, the United States, Washington, DC. So let's talk, let's talk Washington. What, uh, what's in store for us a little bit off the beaten path when we take our families to Washington, DC. So one thing that we really see as locals here is everybody comes in the summer. Everybody comes for cherry blossoms which is great. I mean, those are two wonderful times. As locals, we love cherry blossoms. One thing people don't understand is that you cannot actually predict cherry blossoms as carefully as people think. So everybody always plans, they're like, we're going to come the second week in March. And you go, that's great. Well, the cherry blossoms are going to be here in February, or they're going to be here in April. So you have to stay flexible when you're in DC. Also, DC in winter is amazing. DC on a random weekday in the fall is great. Um, you know, and you need to step away from the mall. Everybody goes down to the National Mall, not, not a shopping mall, the National Mall where all the Smithsonian's are, because the Smithsonian's actually have a ton of smaller galleries that are off the mall. They also have, we have tons of paid museums that you can also go to, that there's always tons of discounts around. There's also lots of day trips out of, you know, Montgomery County has a ton of museums and wonderful parks, which is on the Maryland side. Virginia has 
lots of great parks. Shenandoah Valley is a quick day trip away. You can get into the Shenandoah Mountains within an hour of DC, which a lot of people don't realize. Shenandoah National Park is right there. We go out on Saturdays just to go hiking. And you can also be over on you know, the coast, go to the beach. It's about a two and a half, three hour drive. You can be on the Chesapeake. You can go fishing, you know, within half hour, 45 minutes, if that. So really, you know, don't just stick to, you know, the Capitol building, the Lincoln Memorial, do that your first day, go hang out. But as a local, just know that don't just stick to what you think you're supposed to do. Do your history tour, but then come back and, you know, start diving into the neighborhoods too. We have some really fun, quirky neighborhoods. Georgetown is great for food and for shopping and everybody knows Georgetown. Adam Morgan's has one of the best coffee shops that everybody loves, Phil's Coffee. And um, we're going up to the Shaw District now and there's you know neighborhoods that are popping up that we never even knew the names for. The Wharf is now down by the Mandarin Oriental that they just uh, started developing. So there's just a lot of different things always growing that I think out-of-towners aren't always aware of. Karen, real quick, going back to those museums, you mentioned several lesser-known off-the-beaten-path museums. Can you just dive in a little deeper just to one in particular, one of your favorites that is just one that is often overlooked but just an incredible experience for families? So the Horsham Gallery is one of them, and then I'm totally blanking on another one. But a lot of these galleries, and even the U.S. Botanical Garden is one uh, or three Uh, galleries that you want to look up. And even if you just go to Smithsonian, there's a listing of galleries. They always have rotating exhibits coming through. And if even if you just look on Instagram, you're going to see a lot of these big installation art exhibits going around the country. You're going to say, oh my gosh, those are amazing. But you have to pay for them at the rest of the country. And here, we get them at the Smithsonian. We don't have to pay for them. So you're always going to want to see what's at the Horsham, um, what's at the U.S. Botanical Garden, and I wish I remembered the other one, but if you just look up on the Smithsonian Gallery website, you're going to be able to find it. And, you know, kids are welcome everywhere at the Smithsonian's, which is great. A lot of times they'll have programming if you just walk in and you ask the front desk if they have any scavenger hunts, if they have any coloring pages, if they have any factoids that are specifically geared towards kids. A lot of the times the Smithsonian has programming developed just for families and specific age groups as well. Love that. And I would take that one step further as far as not paying. Presuming you live in the United States and you pay your taxes, you've already paid for these museums. It comes out of your paycheck. Go enjoy it. These are all all perks and benefits of being a taxpaying American citizen. Get out there and enjoy it. So many free or very low cost things to do in in DC. And dive in a little bit more of those quirky neighborhoods. I love that word quirky. What other kind of quirky neighborhoods might we explore? And what's the best way to explore them? So one of my favorite things to do is I'll go out to brunch with a girlfriend. I'll give you an example. We were in the Capitol Hill neighborhood at uh, this place called Bouchard Saloon, which is one of my favorite places to get brunch right now. And I will always plug into Google Maps how to get home, but then I'll kind of ignore it. And I'll just wander around and I'll get lost. So DC's broken up into four quadrants that are the most bizarre shapes you've ever seen. And there, there's no real grid pattern to DC, no matter what anybody wants to tell you. And just get lost. Turn down a side street. Google Maps can always get you home, you know, or to back to your hotel or wherever. And especially if you're downtown, you're safe, you're fine. You know, just kind of start walking down, you know, random streets, you know, take that left turn instead of the right turn to get to where you need to go. There's a lot of murals in the city that are down that random alley or that random street. 
Capitol Hill neighborhood, Pentworth, they're all great areas to see those iconic, you know, row homes and brownstones that are every, you know, color of the rainbow that you're not going to see in a lot of other places in America. We have a lot of uh, historic homes and buildings that, you know, I'll be walking around, my husband will swear has been broken up into condos and apartments. And I'll be like, oh, no, honey, that's still a, a full house. And, you know, they're multi-million dollar homes, but, you know, you're just seeing all that history that, you know, people are living on top of each other, but you can walk to your local coffee shop. And then there's all those little mom and pop boutiques, you know, get out to if you we have a lot of different markets around the city as well. Eastern Market, Union Market. Personally, I love Union Market. It's over by Gallaudet University. It's one of the best places to do some fun people watching and also taste a lot of the flavors of the city. It's also over by the National Arboretum if you want to kind of get some outdoor exercise and fun and go see a lot of the different uh, plants around the country as well. We have a lot of the different flora and fauna from around the country that's in the Arboretum. But back to Union Market, uh, you can have Takarian, which is uh, Korean tacos. There's also, uh, I believe it's Peregrine Coffee, which is one of my favorite coffee places. There's also a bar and a beer garden for parents if they need a little break. And the kids can run around. There's bubble tea. There's, I think there was crepes last time I was there. There's all kinds of variety of food. It's very similar to Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia, but on a smaller scale. And it's, again, in one of those neighborhoods that's been up and coming for a while that has some warehouses in it, but then it also has some artist studios, lots of murals. It has an old movie theater and just so many different things that you can do that a lot of people that are just coming in for the weekend or just coming in to do a history tour don't realize is there. Yeah, one of my favorite things you said, and I couldn't agree with you more, and it applies to other places too, not just DC, but especially in a great town like DC is just taking those unexpected turns. Like you said, taking that left instead of the right. A lot of times those unexpected adventures, those unexpected memories, or excuse me, those unexpected experiences make for the, the most powerful, most powerful travel memories, as opposed to just sticking to the agenda, sticking to the itinerary and just walking through the paces of all the stuff you're supposed to do when you go to DC, you know, take that unexpected turn, find that, find that coffee shop, find that Find that arboretum, find that, find that beer garden if you're that parent looking for a break. But that, those <laughs> unexpected moments, those unexpected experiences often make for the most powerful memories. I found that to be true throughout my travels as a kid, even as a young adult and now as a parent, and it's as true as ever. So I appreciate you making that point and really illustrating that for us. So Karen, we're going to move on. We're going to hop on a plane. We're going to hop on a boat, maybe if you're a really good swimmer. But we're crossing the Atlantic, and we're going to head to Ireland. So one of your favorite places, Dingle, Ireland. I'd love for you to share a bit about that. So over spring break last year, we went to Ireland, and I fell in love with the Dingle Peninsula. A lot of people go down to Kerry, and they do the Ring of Kerry in a day or over two days. And it's just really crowded at this point. The Dingle Peninsula is just north or above, however you're looking at the map, um, of Kerry, and it's kind of becoming the new alternative to Kerry. So, so presumably you're flying into Ireland, you're going you're yes. to most likely land in Dublin. Get us from Dublin to Dingle and then, then take us from there. So I'm actually going to have you fly into Shannon because you're going to be a lot closer. Well, thank you. That's why you earn your. That's why you earn the big bucks, Karen, because <laughs> yeah. you get me into that right airport. Start us off on the right foot. I won't assume anything anymore. Well, don't even assume because we actually flew into Dublin and I, I regret that because Shannon was a lot closer and you can usually find flights just as cheap, sometimes even cheaper, depending on when you're going. So you're going to fly into Shannon, you're going to head south and it's probably about 
an hour, hour and a half, depending on which route you go, depending on how many of those random turns you decide to take. And you're actually, you can hit Dingle first before you hit Kerry. So it's even closer. Dingle's a lot smaller than the Kerry Peninsula as well. So you can see a lot more in a shorter amount of time. So you can pace yourself a lot better with your kids, which I know my kids are appreciating more and more because I can't just strap them on in a baby carrier anymore. They want to be able to run and climb rocks and, you know, really dive into a place and explore. Uh, we set ourselves up in uh, the town of Dingle, on the Dingle Peninsula, at an amazing bed and breakfast called Pax House, which is uh, run by a guy named John. In Ireland, pretty much the best way to, you know, really dive in with the locals and, you know, get great accommodations is through B&Bs. You can rent places that'll give you a little bit more property. There are hotels, but B&Bs is really the way to go when you're in Ireland. We loved it. John took great care of us. We would linger over breakfast every morning. He was like trained in Paris, but he was from Ireland originally. And everything was walking distance down to town. The town is known for its music and its food scene. The Dingle uh, Pub, actually, the son of the owners, uh, is a uh, world-renowned Irish stepper. He's actually got a new show coming out in uh, New York. I believe it's called Velocity. And we happened to be there, and this guy's waiting on us at our table. And we knew that, you know, an Irish stepper was going to be dancing that night. Lo and behold, it's this guy. Our waiter was the world champion (laughs) Irish step dancer who, you know, and I hear I'm asking my waiter, I'm like, do you know when he's going to come on? Because I got to get my kids to bed. He's like, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. In like 15 minutes, he'll come on. So he rushed himself so that my kids could watch him step dance, you know, and now he's on a world tour. So that's the kind of place that Dingle is, is they are very family friendly. They're going to make sure that everybody feels welcome. There are, is at least two ice cream places for your kids. (laughs) Uh, but, But more importantly, how about applesauce? Do they have applesauce there? They do have applesauce. There, Good, are there. there are at least two grocery stores for the parents that need the baby food. And there are fish and chips. Lots in, If you don't know what chips are, that's French fries over in Ireland. For the kids like mine who just need French fries all the time. Because we all hit that point where we don't believe we're raising picky eaters. But we are. We all have picky eaters. My six-year-old only eats beige food right now. Still. I don't know why, but he does. Uh, <laughs> But one of the other great things is you can day trip out of the town of Dingle on the Dingle Peninsula. It gets a little confusing um, all the time. There's the Slayhead Drive, which is probably one of the most stunning drives I've ever seen, where there's beaches and there's you know rugged coastlines and there's rocks to climb. And one of the funniest stories I have from our trip is we pull over you know, in this little parking lot and we're kind of hiking around and there's this like huge mound of rocks that like look very purposefully there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's some like druid ruin. And here's my kid like climbing up it. And I'm kind of panicking. And these hikers walk by and I'm like telling them to get off. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. That was Luke Skywalker's house from uh, The Last Jedi or whatever. Uh, they just left it there. So don't worry, you can climb all over it. And we're just like, what? How cool is that? Star Wars. And, you know, obviously we are huge Star Wars fans. And we knew like parts of the movie had been filmed there. But now we were climbing all over Luke Skywalker's house. <laughs> And it wasn't it wasn't really clearly marked or anything. It was just kind of there. No, they had had a plaque further down the path saying like, "Here's where you know the last Jedi had been shot." You know, just like a sweeping landscape kind of view. And you know, but then like you know, probably 200 feet away, there had been this big pile of rocks, and they just hadn't cleared it away from his hut. <laughs> and you know, and then you know, the more you kind of looked and you looked down at this huge pile of rocks, you're like. I'm pretty sure some porridges had sat there and those weird 
animals that Luke Skywalker had milfed had been there. And, you know, the more, you know, you were just like, I'm sitting in the middle of a movie. And, you know, what better way to impress your kids and get them to really start interacting? Absolutely. We're going to pretend to be Jedi now. And well, that's what we did. <laughs> well, I, sir, I can't promise you're always going to end up on, on a, a movie set, but it's, that's again, <laughs> there's that same theme again of just taking the time to explore. You never know what you're going to come across. And obviously that was a very, uh, very sharp memory for you and your family. I could just kind of go there with you as you were telling that story. I could visualize uh, your experience. That sounds like a really incredible time. Now, Karen, talking about going to Ireland for, for those of us here in the States, that's, that's a long way. That's a, an over, overnight overseas journey, which can be very intimidating for some people. Can you talk about maybe some of the, some of the pitfalls or common mistakes that people make uh, taking a trip to Ireland? I think one of the biggest things people get worried about is jet lag, especially having written about travel so much with uh, babies and toddlers. Uh, because I went to China so much with my kids, jet lag is the number one thing I see parents uh, complaining about it or stopping themselves from traveling overseas. And I just feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes because kids get over jet lag so much faster than us old folks. <laughs> and Is that a good know, thing though, really? Do you really want your kids fired up, ready to go when you can barely get your head on straight? <laughs> I do. Because if my kids are ready to go, then I'm like, all right, I'm going to chug this coffee because there's nothing worse than my kids being cranky and me having to rally for them. You know, and admittedly, it's a little harder with babies, but I find it easier going to Europe with them than coming home from Europe. And it is worth it every time. That's the thing. I'm For me, it's always been parenting's hard no matter where you are. You know, I mean, you and I both know that, you know, you're going to have tantrums. You're going to have, you know, picky eaters. You're going to have everything that comes along with parenthood at home, you know, whether you're home or not. So why not pick your backdrop? You know, if I'm going to, you know, have a tantrum, I would much rather be sitting in a Tuscan villa knowing that an amazing glass of wine is waiting for me at the end of it. Or, you know, if I have to sit around having nap time, I'd rather be looking out over the cliffs of the Dingle Peninsula and, you know, enjoying some amazing conversation with a owner of a B&B that's been there for the past, you know, 10, 20 years. I think Looking at all parents looking at all the negatives is one of the biggest pitfalls of travel and why people aren't doing it. You have to look at the positives and what you're bringing to your children. You know, as I said before, you know, my kids are competing over their travel stories right now. And a lot of their friends don't have that, you know, experience and those stories that they can now be sharing with their friends. So, you know, let's give our kids a leg up. That's one leg up that we can give. And we're all in this day and age trying to give our kids you know, some leg up in society. So, you know, let's make more little ambassadors, you know, across the globe. Pick your backdrop. I love that. I always, yeah. I, t- I like to talk about picking your soundtrack, you know, whether if you're on a road trip or whatever, but pick your backdrop. That's, that's really even, even more powerful. A question that kind of came up in my mind as you were talking about that, I wasn't planning on discussing this particularly, but talking about interacting with folks in your day-to-day life, when you've had the experiences you've had and your husband, and of course your kids being the world travelers they are at six and nine. What kind of interactions do you have people just in day to day sharing your travels and encouraging them to take that next step as opposed to just, you know, writing about it on your blog or talking with me on the podcast? What's it like day to day? Day to day. Well, of course I have my friends that are always like, Oh, so, you know, what do you do next week? I'm like, well, you know, I have to go talk at a conference in Bermuda or wherever. And they kind of roll their eyes like, Oh, you do. Yeah. It's like your life is so hard, but really the day to day, um, I get a lot of questions about like, okay, well, where should we go next? And well, what was hard? Like, what should we do? Um, I think I really get looked at as the resource of, you know, 
where would be the best thing to go? Like my neighbor just had a baby and they're looking for something tropical. And, you know, they're looking, a lot of people get worried about like diseases. So it's really, you know, the way that I can help people narrow down and just get that safety factor back in for them. While my other neighbor has like teenagers. So they're always stalking my Instagram (laughs) going, okay, so where was the most adventurous place you went last? You know, I was in a cruise in Brazil going up the Rio Negro and, you know, they're already looking at that for, you know, their next vacation, maybe next summer uh, because they need to, they have three very active kids. They're like, okay, what are we going to do next? Like, where are we going to push them to the limits next? So, you know, in some ways, like I'm just, I like that I'm able to inspire people to think bigger than what they think they should be doing, you know? Because we all know the norm, you know, you're supposed to go do X, Y, Z. You're supposed to go to Disney World with your kids X amount of times. You're supposed to maybe go to London. You're supposed to maybe go to Italy. But the world's so much bigger than that. And there's so many more options available to us now. And then I'm also able to break it down to it's not as expensive as you think. And here's the tools that you can use to make it happen, which I think is even more important for us right now. Well, speaking about making it happen, I'd like to give you a moment to talk about Badger Magazine, Twist Travel Magazine, which you describe as being all about designing a travel-inspired life. What does that mean to you? Tell me about that. So we really wanted to create a magazine for specifically moms who, because we all know like moms are the decision makers of the family, you know, probably 90% of the time, but we can't always be traveling every second of the day. You know, I understand that my life is very different from everybody else's. My job is to help people travel and to inspire them to travel. But, you know, I look at my people like my neighbors and I want them to be able to bring travel back into their home, but also then go out into the world and explore. So Twist brings in uh, lifestyle pieces like recipes that can, you know, bring in the flavors of Italy and Japan and France and South America and, you know, other places so that you're tasting you know, travel at in your house, you're, you know, maybe bringing in pieces of art from a company that we found, Um, we have, in our fall issue, a beautiful piece on companies that are raising women out of the sex slave trade and through sustainable clothing and jewelry that you actually want to wear that are helping women across the globe. You know, it's just really being mindful of your purchasing and other products that you're bringing back into your home that have a global impact as well. But then we're also bringing you, you know, features that say, hey, here are trips that you can take. And here's how you're going to go do it with your kids. And here's how we're going to you know, tell you that we did it. And then here's the resources to get you out there as well. And then we also have, you know, budget friendly ideas in, you know, to show you, hey, you have $2,500. Here's all the different places that you can go with $2,500. And what's that, what is that going to get you? Or here's the apps that you want to be downloading right now that are going to help you do that. And then the back of the book is always a guide to a specific country or a specific city so that you can start planning your own trip right now. That, that is incredible, Karen. It just sounds like an incredible, incredible resource. The one thing I've got to ask you, final question before we say goodbye. Karen means how in the world do you do all this stuff? <laughs> I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> And I have an amazing, amazing assistant that helps me out. And uh, I always tell people that the best assistants are your boss. And it is 100% true with her. She keeps me in line and keeps me moving forward every day. (laughs) Well, we're certainly grateful for her that she keeps you moving every day. Uh, You're doing great stuff, providing great content. 
We have been chatting with Karen Means from Walking on Travels. Please follow Karen on Instagram at Walking on Travels. And of course, you can get even more travel inspiration at walkingontravels.com. Karen Means, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been my pleasure to host you here today on Family Travel Radio. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Family Travel Radio. You can find all the notes and links to all the resources we mentioned in this episode over at familytravel.org slash radio. And thanks so much to our guest announcer. His name is Bryce. He lives in Carmichael, California. Thanks so much, Bryce, for providing the intro to this episode. And a sincere thanks to you, my friend, for listening to Family Travel Radio. I'm Aaron Schlein, and I'm signing off. 